Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Melissa Bourbon to the podcast today. Melissa is the national best-selling author of more than 30 novels, including the Ivy Culpepper Book Magic Series, the Harlow Cassidy Magical Dressmaking Series, and the Bread Shop Mysteries, written as Winnie Archer a former secondary English language arts teacher and creative writing teacher with Southern Methodist University's CAPE program, among others. She's applied her love of teaching to the creation of Writer Spark Academy, an online school for aspiring and new writers seeking to hone their craft. Learn more about her at her website and on Facebook and on Instagram, and all of the links are in the show notes, including the link for the Writer Spark Academy. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think that we will have lots to talk about. 30 novels is a lot of writing and also as a teacher. Um, But let's start the way I always start these podcasts. When did you decide you wanted to be a writer? That goes back a long ways. Um, My first son was born in 1992, my second in 1994. And at that time I was teaching middle school and most of my salary went to daycare. And my husband and I decided that it made sense for me to take a leave of absence and be home with the kids, which is what I wanted to do anyway. If I was going to have kids, I wanted to be the ones, you know, the one to raise them. And, um, this was at a time when there was not a lot available for middle grade readers. It was pre-YA revolution and, you know, middle grade, there was just a dearth of of good books. And I thought, well, I'll write something for my students while I'm here at home with my kids just to keep my brain from turning to mush in toddler land, you know? <laughs> and so that's what I did. I, I came up with the concept and um, fell in love with it and wrote it, wrote it, wrote it, and didn't know what I was doing at all and submitted it and got a a variety of wonderful rejections before I knew that there was such a thing as a wonderful rejection versus just a form rejection. I got lots of personal notes and handwritten notes and things like that. And this was, you know, also pre-email. So Mm -hmm. this was all through the snail mail and self-addressed stamped envelopes and whatnot. And, um, and so that's kind of when the bug struck, uh, but then I kept having kids, (laughs) I have five kids and did go back to teaching and everything. So kind of went on the back burner, that book never did sell. And, and while I love it still, there are a lot of problems with it. Um, but you know, but that was the beginning, I think of, of having that passion ignited in me to tell a story, you know, that I had stories to tell. And wouldn't it be wonderful if other people, you know, loved them too, if they resonated with somebody and made somebody's day, you know, better in the way that books have always made my days better. 
And was that first novel a crime novel or a mystery at all? Or No, no, only in the sense that it was about a classroom of middle grade students who were miraculously on task at the same time. And a weird time space phenomenon happened that transported them back to the early 1900s at the time of Ellis Island. And they had to to basically get processed through Ellis Island as their ancestors. One of the many wow. problems with that is, of course, not everybody came through Ellis Island. You know, the, the diversity element was a big problem. <laughs> but, you know, that was that was the only mystery element was that there was this, you know, weird phenomenon that happened. So it, it was fun. Well, let's we'll talk about your evolution into uh, to crime novels. Um, okay. <laughs> but but let's talk about writing. So that first book, as it does with so many people, teaches you how to write a book, um, which is an invaluable lesson. You don't you can learn as lots in classrooms or from mentors and things, but until you try to write a book, you don't you you know you don't know how to write a book. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> Yeah. And it's hard. It's harder than it seems. Um, Very much more <laughs> difficult than it seems. Yeah. And you were, um, you know, with with young kids and that adds to to timing and things. But how when you when you said, I'm going to get back to this, how did you hone your craft? Uh, well, you know, fast forward quite a few years, because as I said, I kept having kids and then I went back to teaching. We moved a couple of times. And um, my youngest son was born in 2002. So we're talking a good 10 years or eight years. And I started going to a coffee shop once a week with a friend of mine who also just had a passion for writing. And we started doing writing prompts together and just, you know, just kind of getting away from the kids and having some me mm -hmm. time and doing something that we enjoyed. So, you know, we formed a, a critique group of sorts, just the two of us. And so we, you know, uh, learn together, I think, in a big way. And as we worked through these prompts, I pretty soon had a character and then this character had a family and then this character had a setting, a place where she lived. And, you know, and I thought, wow, I could actually turn this into a book. I didn't have the idea of publication at that time, but I thought well, I could do something with this. And, um, you know, my husband is Mexican-American first generation. And so my kids are half. And I really wanted to create a character that would possibly resonate with my daughter specifically. And uh, and that, so that's where this character, Lola Cruz, was born. And she's she and her family are very much based on my husband's family. And she doesn't want to read this book because it's got a little bit too much sexiness in it. And she's like, Mom, I can't. I can't. <laughs> she's 22. And she's like, no. But, um, anyway, I thought, well, if I'm going to turn this into a book, what kind of book would that be? And the obvious answer was a mystery because I grew up on the Bobsy twins and Nancy Drew and the Hardy boys and graduated to Agatha Christie, you know, throughout high school and, you know, a significant memory as of my mom and me going to the library so she could check out Curtin Poirot's last novel. And, <laughs> you know, so mystery was definitely my genre. And so that's what I did. I, she be, Lola Cruz became a PI and that series was born. And that was my first published series. But going back to your question of how did I sort of hone my craft, I was very, very green. I didn't know what I was doing. I had this book. And so I joined Romance Writers of America, which was the, the national organization that was where I lived 
<clears throat> and um, started going to those meetings, met some people, formed my very first critique group. And some of those people, you know, were still good friends. And that's where I just learned so much about the industry. Even though I didn't write romance, I learned so much about the industry and so much about the writing process through their speakers, their monthly meetings and things like that. And then joined Sisters in Crime and Mystery Rise of America once I moved to Texas. That was in Northern California. And just continued, you know, building a network of friends and critique partners and then, uh, you know, honing my craft through the generosity of the authors that I met through these organizations who, who are just amazing people. Yeah, it is. It, it's a wonderful community. It really is. Um, but finding critique partners and, and good critique partners, you make it sound easy, but that's actually pretty tricky to find somebody who is going to give you good feedback and help you grow as a writer you know do you how would you suggest people when they're looking at critique groups or critique partners sort of think about that yeah that's a really good question because you're right it is so difficult and I I'm a writing coach now I have a very big pay it forward sort of philosophy and so I feel like i gained so much from people and I want to be able to give back and that's what Writers Spark Academy is largely about but um you know, one of the things that I come across when I'm working with writers, new writers, aspiring writers, is how who do you take comments from, critiques from? Who do you who do you trust that's giving you good feedback? And that's really difficult. Um, I think that in large part I was lucky with some of the critique partners I ended up with. And as I said, they became friends. And I think when you become friends, you develop a level of trust. And then also as you grow as a writer, you kind of see where you are in respect to the other people Mm -hmm. and where your writing is in respect to their writing. And so you can kind of, I think, gauge what's good advice and what's not good advice. And over the years, the critique groups evolved to where some of us would break off and sort of develop in a different direction and maybe pull in a different person, you know, in the best possible way, you, you sort of transition or evolve in that way um, to, you know, keep yourself aligned with people that are basically at your level, you know, so that you are trusting what they're saying and they're trusting what you're saying and, and you're honest, you know, it does nobody any good to say, Oh, I love this. It's fabulous. Don't change a thing. You know, that doesn't help anybody. So, we really uh, worked hard to develop a level of honesty and trust in that we were there to help each other. And, you know, you could take or leave anybody's criticism or advice or comments, but, uh, you know, ultimately we were there to help each other and to lift each other up. And so it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's some of it's luck and some of it is just working with different people and moving on until you find those people that you can develop that level of trust with. Yeah. And where did you do you always work with people who are writing in the same genre you are or do you work with people who are in other genres as well? Uh, So I started out working with people that were more writing in romance. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was another gal that was writing in mystery. And again, she was with RWA because that's what we had around us. Uh, Eventually that evolved to maybe picking up a few more mystery people. But I would say romance 
mystery and a little bit of fantasy were probably the primary Mm -hmm. genres of people that I have worked with. And that's, you know, that's just because that's what they wrote. And those were the people that I met and good writing is good writing. So I don't think you have to work in the same genre to be able to learn from one another and to, you know, give quality feedback and to help each other grow. Now, when you were starting out, what was the best piece of writing advice you got and the worst piece of writing advice you got? Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, um, the best piece, I think, was that it's a numbers game. And that was from a friend, Kate Perry, who also writes his copia now. And, um, you know, she was a little further along than I was in terms of shopping her stuff. And we ended up sharing an agent for a long time. But, you know, when you submit your work and you keep getting rejections, it can be very disheartening and you can feel really mm-hmm. dejected and and want to quit, which I did many times. And, you know, my critique group, my friends lifted me up and my husband kept, you know, cheering me on saying, don't give up, don't give up. And Katya said, you know, over and over, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. You just have to keep submitting because mm-hmm. it increases your odds, right? You know, and the, you're just going to um, have a better chance the more times you put yourself out there. And so, you know, I, I needed to hear that to keep going. So mm-hmm. that was one really good bit of advice. Probably one of the worst pieces of advice I got, well, um, and I wouldn't even say it's the worst piece of advice, but more more something that I would do differently had I known then what I know now. And that is uh, when I did shop my first series, my first book, it was a number game. It took a whole lot of submissions, but in the end, I got two offers for representation from agents. One was from a boutique agent agency and an agent in a boutique agency. It was her agency. And the other was from an agent in a huge a huge New York company. And, um, I just didn't know what to do, you know, and I got differing advice from people and the advice that I ended up taking that seemed to be more prominent was go with the big company because they're so well-established and, you know, you're just going to have more people working on your behalf, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's what I ended up doing. I went with that agent and come to find out that she didn't really rep a lot of mystery. So she really wanted to revise that book and take it more into romance, which we did. Wow! And even after a year, she couldn't sell it because it really was not a romance. And that wasn't my voice, nor was it my passion. And so we ended up parting ways and I ended up going with her assistant who had gone out on her own at that time. And I, I was with her for 15 years and just, we just parted ways recently and kind of for the same reason, because she doesn't really rep her career has taken her towards romance and away from mystery. And I'm still writing mystery. So I have a different agent now, but, um, you know, so I, I can't say that it was a terrible decision because it did lead me to my agent who has been amazing all of these years, but in hindsight, the other boutique agency and that agent loved my writing and my voice and everything about what I had written. And she was passionate about my book. Mm-hmm. And had I known 
better, I would have realized that it's way more important to have somebody who really loves what you do in your corner versus a small fish in a giant ocean who's just one of the cogs, you know, and I'm just a number to her. So, you know, in hindsight, I I would have done things differently. But then again, I, I can't say that it's the wrong decision because, it, you know, I, I'm where I am and I'm in a great place and I've had a great career so far. And, you know, so it's just one of those lessons learned that you yeah. think, well, what if, what might have happened had I done it the other way? <laughs> it is, um, that's such, both of those pieces of advice are so great and that the what ifs aren't helpful. <laughs> I mean, right. those are 3am thoughts. So, um, right. it works out the way it's going to, but I think that that's the passion part of, for your agent who is working with you is your business partner on this is, is such an important piece of advice, um, uh, for folks to hear. Um, and it's hard. It is. And to kind of piggyback on that, you know, my, my agent, um, Holly Root, I've been with her for so long. I was one of her first clients when she went out on her own and I've been with her through, you know, the transition that she went through as an agent at, a, uh, an assistant, then an agent at one company, then an agent at another company to where she developed her own company. And she's been amazing. And we got to a point, though, last year when, you know, she, we just had this really frank conversation that she, her career has taken her, you know, away from kind of what I write. And then my, what I want to write is evolving away from sort of genre fiction, genre cozy mysteries, and more into women's fiction with traditional, with uh, mystery elements or traditional fiction with mystery elements, things like that. And so we just agreed, like, this is maybe not the best fit anymore. And we were, you know, teary and it was very, it was hard because, you know, you've developed this strong relationship with this person. Yeah. Ideally, you know, mm -hmm. we did have this great relationship and friendship and, you know, she referred me to somebody else who I'm working with now, but here's the thing. My new agent, Margaret Danku with Irene Goodman is phenomenal. And she's so excited about my work and my voice. And, and it's like, I've had this burst of energy infused into my career from her excitement, you know? And so it's to have somebody that is passionate about what you do is so important, just emotionally, psychologically. And I think it's, it's really been a good transition. So even though sometimes it's hard to make those decisions and those transitions, you know, ultimately it can be a really good thing to do that. Mm -hmm. for your career and 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 just sort of like I said emotionally psychologically to move you into where you want to be yeah yeah be uncomfortable sometimes uh is 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 a great lesson for folks can we go back and talk about Lola Cruz for a moment just as I'm um talking to people and the work that Sisters in Crime is doing and thinking about things um you wanted to make sure that your daughter um, had representation in fiction. Um, and your daughter has a different life experience than you have. I mean, you're her mom, so you can you can empathize, but it's you you know, you're you're not her, you're not living through her life. What advice right. would you give folks who want to write um a character who is has a different life experience than themselves? And you and what you want to get it right. Right. I mean, you want you want her, you want your 
in-laws and everyone to feel like you got this character right. Um, to, to stretch yourself beyond what you think the experience is to what the experience is, if that makes sense as a question. Yeah, that's such a, a important topic, I think. I'm reading this book called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, and I just came across this passage yesterday where the character who is half Korean um, and half Jewish says something to the effect of, I, you know, I'm two halves of something and a whole of nothing. And I thought that was such a powerful way to put it. And because my daughter has honestly struggled with this, you know, what, and, and my kids and my husband actually has too, because he's fairly fair skinned, you know, and he struggled with where did he fit in growing up? Mm-hmm. And my kids definitely, you know, have fair skin, most of them, because, you know, I'm their mom. And they have definitely um, grown up, you know, in a very American environment. And yet they have this very strong culture as part of my husband's family and their grandparents and all of their aunts and uncles and, you know, just the language and the food and just everything. And so trying to figure out where they fit in has has been difficult. You know, they have to sort of forge their own way, as so many people do in our very blended society. Mm -hmm. Right. So. I think the most important thing is to be honest and to do your research and to talk to people and to understand that there is no one way of a people, you know, that there, there is no one experience. As you said, my experience is different than my daughter's, right? Well, my daughter's experience is different than her Chilean friend, you know, and, and her friend Javi's experience is different than, you know, my son's experience over here. And my son's experience is different than his best friend who's Japanese American. I mean, everybody's experience is different. And there is, and that's, I think the problem with stereotypes, one of the greatest compliments I think I've ever gotten in terms of my writing was from my first editor, of the Lola Cruz series. And she was Latina. And she told me that she loved my book. And one of the things that she loved about it was that it presented the characters, these Latino characters in such an authentic way. There were not stereotypes. And I was so proud of that. And I, I feel like I worked so hard not to make stereotypes and just to create people whose cultures and whose backgrounds really informed who they were, but didn't define them in every single way. So, um, you know, I think understanding that you need to move beyond stereotypes is maybe the most important thing. I actually had a conversation recently. I have a podcast for the Writer Spark Academy uh, business. And I actually had a conversation recently with VM Burns, Valerie Burns, mm-hmm. African American writer of uh, Mysteries, Cozy Mysteries. And we had this conversation about multicultural characters in writing. And, you know, again, I just think it's a, a conversation that we're afraid to have, maybe, or we just don't have enough because maybe we. Uh, don't feel informed enough or, you know, don't want to offend or um, don't know what to say or how, I don't know. It's, it's, but it's so important to have and to understand that it's, it's, we want to create 
societies in our books that are reflective of the society that we live in. And in order to do that, we need to have a diverse cast. And in order to have that diverse cast, we need to try to build authenticity into who these people are and not just put them in boxes. So I Mm -hmm. think just talking to people, doing your research and understanding that you want to stay away from stereotypes is maybe the best way to, to dive in. Oh, it's great advice. I I think sometimes people are afraid of screwing up. um, So they get dug in and, and, you know, if you screw up, do no harm, apologize, but also learn from that and, and figure it out. Um, It's, this is an an evolving conversation for sure, but a really important one. Um, And I will put um, point to that podcast and that um, that episode uh, um, in the show notes as well. Valerie's oh. terrific writer and uh, oh, yes. and a wonderful person. So yes, yes. Um, so you are now mentoring and teaching people, you know, um, new writers and aspiring writers, and there's a difference between the two. Um, mm-hmm. What made you want to do that? As I said a little while ago, I feel strongly about paying it forward. You know, I I learned so much from so many people along the way who never hesitated to give their expertise or their thoughts or guide me when I needed that guidance. And so to be able to be at a point in my career where I can do that for other people Mm -hmm. is really gratifying, number one. And so that's what started the whole website, which is just articles and interviews with people and just trying to, you know, to give back, to share. When I started, I didn't have the plethora of information at my fingertips that people do now. So I feel like I learned the hard way sometimes, learned the long way for sure. And so to be able to give people kind of a way to cut the line, you know, to get some of that information that took me so long to get, you know, it's just a a great thing to do for people who were, you know, I was in their shoes at one point. We all were in their shoes at one point, you know, we all were unpublished authors, you know, aspiring authors. So, um, so that's a big part of it. I'm a teacher at heart, you know, I've taught middle school. I know I stopped teaching a couple of years ago, but I still teach adults through, you know, the community colleges and whatnot. Um, but teaching is in my blood. So that's what led me to start to teach the online courses. So I have a couple of online courses, um, on a learning platform, which I, I love creating, you know, to me, that's just fun. (laughs) And then, also, I feel like I'm a lifelong learner. You know, I I don't know everything. I'm still growing. And I think that's why my, my passion for what I'm writing has evolved and is moving a little bit away from what I've been writing, the cozy mysteries, and into a sort of a different kind of mystery, more um, relational women's fiction, that sort of thing. And so I have a lot to learn as I make that transition, right? How do you, how is the book crafted differently? Um, So I love learning and I know that I'm always growing. And every time I teach, I learn something new. You know, you have to know something well and figure it out in order to teach it. And so that is always really motivating and inspiring to me. And then working with aspiring authors. And I say new authors, because again, just because you're published doesn't mean you know everything. And I certainly did not, you know, I felt 
that imposter syndrome so acutely <laughs> for a long time because I thought, I don't, how, how did this happen? You know, I don't even know what I'm doing. And I, will I ever be able to write another book that's as good as this one, however good this one is, you know? And so I, I just feel like, um, it's just gratifying to be able to work with authors and and help and be partners with them on their journey. I just love that process, you know. And then I just had a coaching session with uh, a guy in Canada last week, and he's writing an epic fantasy. And you know, he's been taking classes and in multiple writing groups. And this was our first coaching session together. And he was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to sign up for 20 more." because I've gotten more out of this hour than I've gotten in all of these classes and critique groups that I've been in for so long. So to, you know, to really like be able to cut to the chase and tell people and help them and guide them and show them what to do or how to do it or how to make what they want to do work and have them have these aha moments. is just, it's exciting. You know, it's just, it's a thrill. So I do it for myself and that feeling of excitement as much as because I want to help them, you know. So you have online courses and you also are a book coach. Uh, so you'll 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 coach them through wherever they are in the process and how to how to put it together. Yeah. So that can manifest in a lot of different ways. But yes, yeah, so I have the online courses. There's Ready, Set, Write, which is a sort of all encompassing. Here's how you write a novel, character development, scene development, hero's journey, three act structure, all of these things. Then there's how to write a cozy mystery. And there's a couple of mini courses. And then the coaching, I also am a developmental editor um, and I've been doing that for about 10 years. And so, you know, you can do a developmental editor and then provide a editorial letter and all of that and a phone call. The coaching is kind of a combination. So for example, with this guy that I just started working with, I'll read a chapter, whatever he submits to me prior to our meeting, and then kind of do a developmental edit. And then we talk it through the editing part, the, the, you know, the, um, story arc, the character, whatever the issue is or whatever it is he wants to talk about or whatever things that I, that bubble up through the reading, you know, that's kind of what we tackle. Um, you know, and every coaching client is a little bit different because they need different things or want different things. But anyway, to answer your question, yes, I do all of that. And just to help folks who are listening and who may be at the beginning of their journey, um, can you define a developmental editor for people? Yeah. So a developmental edit is um, really an all-encompassing edit that looks at the entirety of a manuscript, the story arc, the character development, um, you know, just kind of everything <laughs> to, to help fill in any gaps to help make sure that, you know, everything is happening as it should to kind of look at the whole thing as a big picture mm -hmm. and then break it into pieces to help put it back together in the strongest way possible. So it's really a, um, a fully encompassed edit as compared to say a copy edit, which is just looking for the you know, the corrections and things like mm -hmm. that, or a line edit that's going line by line, that's looking more at um, syntax and structure and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. By piece. So the developmental editor edit is really like a big picture kind of a thing. 
And I think that the reason I want you to define that is it's that's something that I didn't know about at the beginning. I didn't um, either. Developmental editors were out there and it's a tremendously helpful tool when your book is stuck or when you, you just can't figure out what it is <laughs> um, yeah. to, to have somebody look it over and say, this works, this doesn't. This character leaves me cold. Um, you didn't do you you drop this character and their journey doesn't make sense. All of that, that stuff that you can't see anymore because you're so close to it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's so hard to see those things in your own work because you are so close to it. And so you really do need an objective person to to read it and to be able to recognize those things that you're sort of blind to. And you've written over 30 novels. Um, Winnie Archer uh, was your uh, pseudonym. Why did you pick another name uh, to to write under and how did that evolve? My first series was the Lola Cruz mystery series, which I'm in the process of getting the rights back to. So now I am a traditionally published author as well as an indie published author. So I have um, a couple of series that I've gotten the rights back. So we're traditional that I'm putting out indie. I have one series that's fully indie, but the Lola Cruz series was my first. And when I sold my next, which was the um, magical dressmaking mystery series, which is the Harlow Cassidy (laughs) series, it was with a different publisher and they wanted to have a pseudonym so that they could put me out as a debut author. It's Mm -hmm. all for a publisher's it's all about co-op space and marketing. And so as a debut author, they could get different placement in the bookstores. This was still when bookstores were more significantly important, um, but particularly Barnes and Noble. And so it was important that to them that they be able to put me out that way. And so that's why I had to choose a different name. And so Winnie is my grandmother's name and Archer is a family name on my mom's side. So if I had to have a new name, I chose, I wanted to choose something that was important to me that was actually connected to me. So that's where that name comes from. And when, as you're moving towards your, um, women's fiction, mystery elements, more traditional. Um, Do you expect that you're going to write under your name or are you thinking about another name or or how's that moving forward? I mean, I'm definitely, uh, my newest series that I'm working on is going to be shopped by my agent. My hope is that it will be released under my name. But ultimately, that's going to be up to the publisher and what they want. Um, you know, it's it's taking what I write into a different direction so they could try and capitalize on my current audience and use my name or they right. could want to pull away from that history and start brand new. And that's something I don't really have control over at this point. So I'm not really sure. I hope it's under my name just because it would make things much easier. But we'll see. <laughs> So the business side of publishing is something we can work on and we can take control. And you've talked about changing agents and changing genres, but, but it's, it's a business too. And, and a lot of it's not in our control. Um, but the writing is so 30 books in rethinking your career. What gives you joy about writing? There's a lot of things that give me joy. But yeah, what gives me joy now is different, I think, than what did at the beginning of my career. That being said, um, being 
really excited about a project or a story is the most exciting feeling. So going to my current project that I'm working on with my agent, I'm, I've got about 50, 60 pages of this project. She's going to shop it on proposal. And we've been going back and forth a couple of times on just some revisions. And I sent it to her before the holidays. And she just got it back to me yesterday, actually, with a few notes. And I opened it up and sort of dug into it. I loved her notes, her thoughts. And so I'm reworking this one little part. Another reason, you know, even though I am a developmental editor, I still need an editor too, because it's hard to see the forest through the trees with your own work. But um, as I dug into it last night and was working on it this morning, I just was so excited. Like I couldn't wait to, to get to it this morning again, after working on it for about two hours yesterday, because I just love the concept. I love these characters. I can't wait to have it all evolve. So to have the excitement about a project to me is, is wonderful. I mean, that, gives me the most joy. And my, my other indie, strictly indie published series, which is the book Magic Pippin Lane Hawthorne series. She's a bibliomancer and it's this 2000 year old Irish curse. And, you know, I, the, the first book I loved. And then as I kept writing the entire story and the history of the 2000 year old curse and these Irish deities and all of this stuff, really, really evolved. And as I would research, I would get these amazing aha moments and I would, you know, call a friend and be like, oh my gosh, listen to this. You know, I just discovered this and isn't this perfect. And, and I mean, the excitement of that writing process and having it evolve from that book that I really loved into the series that I think is amazing. And I just couldn't wait to get to write it every day. And, you know, writing that final scene was just like, ah, perfect. You know, that to me, that's the most joyful thing is just really loving what I'm doing still after 30 books. Yeah. And with um, your indie published series, did you start out saying this is going to be however many books in that series and plan the whole series? Or how did you think that through? Because I also think as you... I I know that as you go along, you learn so much writing a series that that you bring to the next one and the next one and the next one. Um, So when you're indie publishing, you 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 don't have to wait for a second a renewal contract. You could say this can be nine books long. Right. (laughs) Um, Right. And there's freedom there. But did you also did you say this is going to be a finite series of books? Yes, actually. Um, so it started out as a collaboration with another writer. We had kind of developed this concept together and in the end she um, decided not to do it. So I took the whole thing and initially it had, we had planned it to be six books with these sort of alternating characters. And in the end, it, it ended up being four books with my characters. And, and then I brought in um, some of the characters that she had developed towards the end. And I, and, you know, initially we had thought six books, but as I kept writing the series, I just didn't feel like dragging it out mm-hmm. for six books was the way to do it. And I, I, you know, a story can run its 
course, right? And you can have great plans for it and realize that you need to adjust those plans in real time because, you know, it's happening in a different way than what you had initially thought it was going to happen. And so that six books became four books. And I'm still going to do one final novella to tie up a few loose ends, but Mm -hmm. not a full book. But yeah, those four books tell the entire story. So each book stands alone. Mm -hmm. But there's a much bigger series arc. So it is great to read them in order so that you get the entire series arc. So in that respect, it's a very different type of series than, say, a cozy mystery or or even a traditional mystery series, each of which stands alone. And you might have a smaller series arc with some sort of character you know, development end point of growth that you want to get to. Um, this one has, you know, this curse that needs to be resolved over mm-hmm. the course of the books. And so each book resolves a bit of that and leads her closer to the answer, the truth, but there's also something else that's underlying that guides each book. So um, I don't know if that really answers the question. So yes, I had a finite number of books that I was going to do, but it ended up being fewer than that because it fewer to tell the story and I didn't want to drag it out, you know, because it was working the way it worked. And and I didn't have every plot point worked out. I'm definitely a hybrid panzer plotter. And so I had sort of the end in mind and some key points along the way, but so much of it evolved as I was writing. And so, you know, that's in great part why it ended up being four books instead of six books, because, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have it mapped out to be six books explicitly. Um, when... As a writer um, who who mentors and teaches, um, what's your best favorite piece of writing advice that you give people? Uh, Well, I think in terms of wanting it to be a career, whether traditional or indie, it's just don't give up. You know, I think the difference, there's a quote, I can't think, maybe Benjamin Franklin, I can't think of who said it, but basically the difference between somebody who succeeds and somebody who fails is the person who succeeds never gave up. Something to that effect. And I and I think that's true. You know, there were so many times I wanted to quit and give up. I was so frustrated. I was so dejected, as I mentioned earlier, all of these rejections, but you just have to realize that's part of the game. And mm-hmm. and especially with indie publishing, you have so many different options now. Um, so I think that the best thing I could say to somebody is don't give up in the face of rejection. And to somebody who is strictly going indie from the beginning, I would say just keep learning and trying to develop your craft so that you can be the best writer that you can be because, you know, you want to put out your best work and, Mm -hmm. and I would think, you know, um, not just throw a book out there, but to to make it the best book that you can make it. So to keep learning and growing and never just sort of rest on your coattails kind of thing or rest on your laurels. Is that the expression? <laughs> um, and do you, when you're coaching and teaching, you teach about writing a cozy mystery series, but do you, much of what you teach is applicable to so many other genres as well. Um, Do you, now is an interesting time to be a writer because you don't have to peg yourself into one hole and say, this is what I'm going to be. You can, as you're doing in your career, move on to a different genre or um, you could write a urban fantasy and nobody's 
going to stop you. I mean, you can do whatever you want. Um, how how do you help people navigate that when, especially at the beginning, when they want to be everything and write everything and, um, you know, they haven't really come up with who they are as an author yet? Yeah, that's another great thing to talk about because I faced that early on with that Lola Cruz series. What was it? It was a little bit chiclet. It was a little caper PI, Janet Ivanovich. It was mystery. It was multicultural before multicultural was, you know, a thing in terms of publishing. And so it didn't fit into a box. And Mm -hmm. as much as I'm an advocate of writing what you're passionate about, these 15 plus years in publishing have also taught me that if you want to publish a book, ideally you want to have it marketable. And in order to be marketable, it needs to fit somewhere. You need to be able to identify your audience and figure out how to get it out to that audience. And so maybe your box is more octagonal nowadays, Uh, you know, so you have a little bit more leeway, especially in indie publishing, but still you need to be able to identify who your audience is, who you're writing for and how you're going to get it in front of them. And so, you know, that, that would be the thing that I would try and guide somebody through that process of identifying who's the audience, what really are you trying to write and who you're trying to reach in order to kind of tighten whatever it is they're wanting to write and, and kind of pull it into something that potentially is more marketable because that was always a struggle with that first series. It never sold well at the beginning and, you know, and that's in great part why they didn't know how to market it, who to, who to get it to. And, you know, the average person wasn't necessarily so receptive to multicultural fiction at that point. Now, as I get the rights back to it, it, you know, things are different. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's a much broader audience that I can reach and I have the power to do that on my own. So, you know, that, that was a lesson learned though, because I thought, no, I'm just going to write what I'm passionate about. And it's all of these different things, you know, not understanding at that time that that was, I was shooting myself in the foot in some ways. I wouldn't change it. I love that series and I love that character. And I wrote it for specific reasons, but, but it did shoot me in the foot, you know, in terms of my sort of launching my career. And that's true, uh, you know, being able to to figure out how to market, it's true if you're looking for agents and editors, but it's also true if you're indie, you've got to know, you've got to know how you're going to market that book. And and when you're an indie publisher, you are, you are running your own business. And so you have to understand the publishing business really well, um, which is not a simple task. It's not, it's a steep learning curve. And you know, even as I work on my new project with my uh, agent, getting ready to shop that, we're talking about what are the comp titles? What is it right. similar in voice to that she can pitch to editors and say, this is great for readers of X, Y, and Z. Right. You know, that, that that's what you have to do. And that's what the marketing department in a publishing house is going to do. How, how right. are they going to, what are they comparing this to? How are they going to get it to the right readers? And so as an indie author, you have to do the same thing. You have to think about who 
are your readers? What else do they read? And how am I going to get my book in front of them? So yeah, right. it's a steep learning curve and it's it's so much to learn, um, but it's so important that you do it if you want to be successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're working on a project now. You have a, uh, you know, your your academy online. You You have a podcast. What are you excited about for 2023? Oh my goodness. Um, so I have two friends who are actually fine artists, um, painters, artists who we've together formed kind of a mastermind sisterhood group, um, of accountability. (laughs) So my, I no longer have critique groups. What I now have is sort of this accountability group with some friends. And what we've done is to map out quarterly goals. So we've mapped out our our quarter goals for the first three months of the year. And um, that has really helped me hone in on what I want to accomplish for 2023 as a whole, but specifically over these next couple of months, which is to... Uh, I'm working on finishing up a memoir course. So I'm getting that launched on February 1st, um, which has been really exciting. You know, I, I worked with my parents a little bit as they wrote their memoirs about two years ago. And I was just so inspired by what they created and that process that I turned it into a course. So that's been really, really fun to do. Um, so getting that launched, I'm super excited about that. And then continuing to develop the Writer's Park Academy, those courses are self-paced and they're they're out there now. What I'm loving is the podcast, actually interviewing and talking with authors like we're doing right now yeah. and talking about the craft of writing and, and it's really specifically tips and tricks. So each episode is with an author and they're offering tips and tricks about something in particular. I just spoke with the one that just dropped was with Catherine Ramsland, who writes the Nutcracker Mystery Series, amazing woman, forensic psychologist. And, and the whole conversation is about the weather, using the weather as a tool in your writing. And, you know, I, I love that because I get to learn stuff too, and talk about things that are new to me and then inspire me. And I'm like, oh, I did that. I used the weather in this one book and I didn't even know that I did that so successfully, (laughs) you know, so that's just really, really fun. And then, and then my new project, I'm just so, so excited about this new project and the new direction that it's going to take my career. So yeah, I have quite a few things that I'm looking forward to in 2023 and hopeful about, and then also just excited about. Well, uh, you've certainly inspired me with this conversation. Thank thank you you. so much um, for the conversation and for the insight and for the um, enthusiasm that you, you bring to the conversation. Oh, thank you so much. This has yeah. been so fun. I appreciate the invitation to come and chat with you. Oh, my my pleasure. So uh, as I said, we're going to have links in the show notes um, so that folks can find your uh, podcast and other information. Um, and Melissa, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.